Hi, I'm Ray, a storyteller, educator, mom, and your host of Homeroom, an international podcast bridging the education gap between the classroom and the living room. Growing up, my single immigrant mom was so busy working multiple jobs to make ends meet, she couldn't afford to give me a lot of her time. So she relied on schools to teach me everything about how to succeed in life. But under-resourced and over-standardized, our one-size-fits-all education system had other priorities. In this liminal space of unmet expectations, I fell into a blind spot. Homeroom is my attempt to figure out why. In this first season, I speak with people in all walks of life from around the world about their own experiences with their education systems. I want to know what worked, what didn't, and what ideas they have on improving it for our next generation. In this episode, I speak with Justin, an independent documentary filmmaker based in Michigan, United States, about the importance of balancing both structured and unstructured pockets of learning and expression. We talk about the importance of curating a media diet that represents our lived experiences, being unafraid to be authentically and uniquely ourselves, and why many creatives might struggle with geometry. Here is our edited conversation. Yeah, we've been talking for like 16 minutes and we haven't actually gotten started to the actual conversation. Is it my fault, partially? Kind of, yeah, but also not really. Well, you know, also I think um, it's nice to have... I think it's important to have conversations that are sometimes structured and then sometimes not. And I think, you know, mastering both forms of communication are very important. Um, And I have traditionally not been very successful in unstructured spaces because it takes me such a long time to get the lay of the land of the conversation that once we get out of that structured space again, then I'm like, oh, now we're moving to another space. But I've gotten much better at that. Um, And it also, but then during the pandemic, I didn't really socialize at all. Um, And so I stopped interacting with people in like these unstructured, like every time that I did interact with someone, there was like a clear purpose for why I was doing it. So I've kind of lost that muscle. So it's very refreshing to kind of be, to have this kind of conversation with you where like anything is possible and we could go down this route and then come back to this one and then start this other one and then go to this one. And so that's really lovely. Yeah, this um, conversation is basically basically just going to be jazz because it's free form. <laughs> Anything can happen. Maybe I'm just going to go on a five minute solo that wasn't really in this plan, or like you know, just like start like wailing on the trumpet and just like in weird tones or something that it makes absolute sense because when it all comes together, it's it's jazz, man. It's jazz, you know. Absolutely, and you know what, like. Um, Daniel Pink wrote A Whole New Mind, where he talks about the six different skills required for um, the conceptual age that we're in. And one of them is symphony, which I think is very much what you're talking about here, which is jazz, being able to combine uh, 
elements from all these different places and be able to control it in a way where it makes sense. Um, and, you know, that is, I think, a skill that is very, um, that's not a skill that we get to practice in compulsory education or in education, unless you go to like art school, right? Um, right. Cause it's all usually really so celebrated. uniform and so, you know, yeah. just like raising your hands and like, you know, just saying, you know, to, like, it's like, and especially when it comes to testing, it's like, you gotta like, you know, fill in the blank or do the multiple choice. Or like when it comes right. to the essay questions, you have to answer a certain way. And if you do it wrong in any way, it's just gonna mark wrong, 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 wrong. It was good, but you didn't do it right. But it's also like, I answered your question though. Why does it have to be structured yeah. this certain way? You know, it's like, that's one of the things like, you know, with documentary work, it's like sometimes, you know, I see this all the time where it's like, you know, I'm on set and we're interviewing someone and like the person interviewing them or like the DP will just say to the person who's being interviewed saying, if you could like use, bring the question back in there, like with your answer, that'd be great. And it's like, it makes perfect sense. But I think the way that they're describing it doesn't make sense. It makes, it makes sense, but it could make more sense if you said to them, okay, so do you remember back in school when you had to like do those essay questions where you like, you know, say like the, uh, say like the, uh, send the, uh, the question or whatever in your answer and then you know, write your answer. Be like, like, I think that Bob has yellow hair because yada, yada, yada. So like, you know, you, like, like that. So like, that's how I always think about it. But I don't know if that's an uh, uh, explanation that would work for other people, especially, but also I feel like if you're going to do it, make sure you do it at the start of a conversation and not like while you're in the middle of it, you know, because that way it's sort of like, you know, it doesn't like change anything. But if you have that, um, that helper at the beginning, I think it's actually probably makes more sense. And then you can kind of just like guide them into saying, Hey, remember the thing, do that. Instead of like having like, you know, say do it multiple times over the course of the thing. I don't know. I don't really know, but that's something I've, I've been noticing a lot. So yes. And I love that you brought that up about documentary filmmaking because uh, I, I, I think I do much better with documentary filmmaking than fiction. Uh, actually, that's not true. I think it, it both, they both require a different part of my brain, and I like to exercise both. But I think with documentary filmmaking, it's sort of like you're sketching around a circle, right? And then in the final edit, you're sort of drawing that circle. Um, and then I think in um, fiction, I think it's more of, okay, we're going to create the circle, and we're gonna do everything we can to get that circle perfectly. And then in the final edit, we're sort of sketching um, and trying to make that circle as pretty as it can be because it's no longer that circle that we started with. Absolutely. And I guess that, right? Yeah, because it's like, that's like what I'm right now in the project I'm working on right now. I'm very much in that early circle design where I'm just trying to pull pieces and start assembling everything so it all kind of like makes sense where it's like you have the pieces, you have the words that they say how can you take all these things and mix them up within this circle to make a coherent story? And then, right. you know, like then also the circles sectioned off into parts. So you gotta make sure yeah. all the parts like, you know, are flowing nicely and everything like that. But like right now it's all the assembly part. So it's like, that's the least of your concerns, but eventually you gotta make that circle as pretty as possible. Where it's like, you know, first it was just like a sketch on a like cocktail napkin. Now it's like a full blown, like, you know, drawing on top of a canvas, like, you know, with like, pretty colors and art and all this stuff like that and just information just like absorbing it all through your eyes and it has to be yeah. very very like you know 
accessible to people because like if it's not accessible what were you doing what was the point of all this in the first place you know so yeah 100 percent. yeah and it's all about like finding that clarity i think that's what i really love about making documentaries is that you know when you're in the process of creating like nothing is clear and that's what i'm finding about making this podcast too is like Um, I started with this idea of just starting messy because, um, you know, I am, I like to have things planned out before I go. And that actually holds me back from doing a lot of things. Um, And so I've really loved this process of just figuring it out as I go. And I'm slowly starting to assemble oh, this is the part that I need next. This is the part that I need next. And like I'm actually creating as I go rather than making sure that I have all of the pieces before I start. And so I wanted to ask you, Justin, like during your education journey, what kind of messaging did you receive from your classes and your teachers about what kind of thinker you are? what kind of subjects did you excel in and which subjects did you not do so well in? Um, well, I know I can answer this for you right now. Like the, the, the subjects I did not excel in for sure. hundred percent are like, is math. Just math was just like my mortal enemy basically, which is really weird. Cause like I did all math with not, not all math, but sort of all math. Cause like I did decent with like in seventh and eighth grade, I was really, I pretty good at math in elementary school like that. But once I got to high school, start stuff really changed. It was like, you know, um, all my friends, like for some reason, they managed to get tested into taking geometry in ninth grade. I don't know if it was because of, I'm really not sure. Cause like we were all in the same classes and everything in the, like the gifted program and everything. But for some reason I was not included in that selection of like taking geometry in ninth grade. So I ended up taking uh, geometry in 10th grade. And I don't know, everyone says geometry is easy and it's so cool. And then when I tell them I did horribly at geometry, they're just like, what, what are you talking about? Like <laughs> I, I did horrible. Like, you know, there was a semester, there was like a, there was a marking period where I actually got an E. I, I basically failed that, 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 that term. I was like, wow, I don't think, I, cause I don't think I ever actually failed a class before in high school, but that one was like one of the first times, but then, um, wait, literally an E? I got, I think it was an E. It was like either an E or a D. It was like, and to, to add like fuel to the fire, my sister who was two years younger than me uh, was taking math in the same class. She was in the same class, um, even though she was still in middle school at this point. So um, that's also fun where I, we're doing the same work, but she's excelling in it. And I'm, uh, you know, not excelling in it for some reason, but it, I don't know what it was about geometry. I don't know if it was the shapes or like the, units or like the proofs i don't know exactly what it was but something in there was just making me like not excel at it like i would usually used to do with like your math and science i think i can relate a lot to your particular journey um i remember i was in a geometry class and i really really struggled with this class and i mean i wasn't terrible at math before i think when i was super young i was not that great at math but anyway uh, ge- geometry is really like the benchmark in my life that I was like, oh, I hate math. And, um, and it didn't make sense because I'm a visual thinker. I'm, I see patterns, I see images, I 
playback um, cinematic moments in my brain. And so everybody was really surprised. Not everybody, but there was some surprise there of like, why are you not capable of understanding geometry? And it was because it wasn't just geometry. It was also logic. There's, um, you needed to understand the logic behind the imagery. And so like I can do images when it's expressive and creative and it's coming from my own brain, but then there's like visuals that come with logics of the real world and like tangible world and reality that I really struggled with. I mean, what you just said actually makes a lot of sense. Like I'm just sitting here thinking, wait, is that, wait, yeah, I mean, I understand logic and everything, the idea of logic, but, like, yeah, hardcore logic where it's, like, it's already proven, and you have to prove why it is the way it is. It's, like, it's math that's already done, but you have to use the math to prove it, whereas everything else, algebra and things, it's, like, you know, just, like, solve me equations, you know, to, like, get the answer, but, like, here's, like, the answer's here, but you have to give me how you got the answer. And it's not even, it's not even about showing work that showing work. That's nothing. It's like, you know, here's yeah. how I did this thing, you know, PIMDIS or whatever like that to get to this answer here. That's how I did that. But this, it's just, that's, you hit the nail on the head with that. And it's like, I've never thought about that. That's exactly what it is. It's like, this is the answer. How is it the answer? Yes. You have to tell me that. And it's like, if you know, why am I you, I'm telling you? Like, I, and it's like, and it's like, if that's what geometry is, I'm just like thinking, what could trigonometry or like calculus be like? And it's like, I'm just, part of me is glad I never took those classes. But, you know, <laughs> the, the Star Trek fan in me is like, oh, you have to take those classes to get into like Starfleet Academy. So it's like, I guess I would not be going to Starfleet Academy if like, you know, this was a Star, world of Star Trek. I could just say that now. Uh, I'll find a different thing to do with my time, but no, that's just the weird, that's the wildest thing. It's just like, that is exactly what it is. And it's like, next time I talk to somebody about like geometry, now I did for like, like, how could you do that? It's like shapes and everything. You understand they'd be good. I was like, yeah, but that's the problem. I had to prove why the shape was a shape, not give you the answer of this. I had to prove that the shape was a shape using these different equations and everything. And that's just like, that's just not float my boat at all yes and i think another thing is like um and this is why i think i don't know if this is going to make sense to you i hope it does um nope <laughs> i'm sorry go ahead um so i think there are like registration marks inside my head that tell me whether i'm on the right path or not and i guess i can call it intuition or something like that and for some people, those registration marks are rooted in the real world. And this is where you have like scientists and people who can prove things based on what they can physically see. Um, so scientists, doctors, maybe even lawyers, right? Because they're based on rules and worlds that exist in reality and are tangible and can be seen and proven by what we can see. But all of my registration marks are inside within me and are much more rooted in like spirituality and things that you call pseudoscience that you can't see, mm -hmm. right? And so what drives me are these like really, uh, I'm very convicted in what I believe, 
but only I have access to my world. And so I can't prove to anybody else what is true for me unless I explain to them what is different about me and my world from this world. And that's what makes me a good creative is because I'm able to Actually, that's what also what makes me a bad creative because I still have not figured out how to completely translate my world the way that I see it out into the real world. Um, and so documentary filmmaking for me is kind of like a medium, a liminal space where I can achieve that because I'm working with people who exist in the real world to draw out things that I'm interested in that also pull things from my own internal world. And so I'm wondering for you, it kind of sounds like you also have this, um, you know what's true for you because you're built that way. That's your constitution. You already have those. You're already sure because of the way that you're built. And so you're very creative. You think visually. Yes. You mm -hmm. are very expressive. How can we teach that? to people who don't think like us or like you. So it was basically how can you teach people who aren't me and don't think like me to think like me? Yes. Brainwashing. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I, maybe not not because technically brainwashing is like a pseudo science term actually because it's not technically brainwashing or something. I heard that somewhere. Who actually knows? But um, it's an interesting question. How do you get people to think like me that aren't me? Because um, you can't just like put them in a machine and say, look at this person's worldview and say, this is how they live their life. Uh, start to like empathize or like think like they do. Because that's not possible. Like, you know, uh, growing up, I, everything I was like, you know, uh, uh, um, exposed to, like I can just name, I could, if I, I can name it, it probably had, ex had an effect on me. Like, definitely I would say the Muppets because like you know like Sesame Street like you taught all of us how to like you know do everything like that but I also did it with like you know humor and like you know something like, stuff that kind of like you latch on to because it's like why wouldn't you latch on to these furry characters talking about the alphabet but also like ripping their noses off and like you know doing silly stuff you know you're learning but at the same time you're having fun and then like you gra then graduating to like you know the the Muppet show or something like that where like you know all these Muppet characters who are different from the ones on Sesame Street like just doing stuff they're like you know they're being silly but they're also being serious when it, you need to be or like you have something like you know fraggle rock where you have all these characters who are part of this ecosystem where you all live together and everybody has a, their own point of view but they all their uniqueness helps to create their environment you know the way i see it like um the, there's a quote from mr rogers it's the thing you say at the end of every episode I'm going to butcher it, but it's just, I say, I think it all the time. And I say it to people too. It's like, you know, you make every day special. And how do you do that? By just your being you. There's only one person in the world just like you and yada, yada, yada. You know, I can't, again, I butchered it, but it's like, you know, just imagine I'm wearing a really nice sweater and saying it actual for, <laughs> verbatim. But like, it's just because it's the truth. It's the truth. Like that right there. I think it's like, you can hitch, you can like hitch onto that in terms of like, you know, you're you you're special because you're you and you're you is what makes you unique and don't try to hide it and don't try to like, you know, change it to fit into anyone else's uh, worldview or like, you know, idea of like what you are, you know, like you're you and that's the, and as long as you know who you are, 
inside and you can express that in some way outside, I think that's what matters, you know? So, um, I think, yes, I think really it's it's a matter of like what you expose yourself to. Like, you know, if you're just going to watch like, you know, nothing but crime dramas and like, you know, like, you know, cynical stuff all the time, you're only going to be like, you know, have the cynical worldview or like, you know, you expose yourself to reality TV. You have this, uh, idea of like, you know, like, world is absolute trash which it kind of is but like it's super trash based on like what this like heightened sense of reality is based on these like right. these programs you know or it's like you know like horror movies that, or horror movies are like oh the world's horrible because people are out there killing and murdering everything and so you watch many of those that's sort of what your worldview is or whatever but it's like i think that's really what it's all about what you expose yourself to what do you think it is about the types of shows that you watch uh, that you think fills you, fulfills you in a way that allows you to m- live your life meaningfully. I don't know. I don't. I, part of me wants to kind of say like the worldview I've absorbed from that, where it's like you know, but like that. Not, that's not necessarily true. Where it's like you know, I've I've watched all this stuff. That's why I'm like this. But it's like also, I I watch enough things to be able to like you know take what I take from it and just like, you know, have things I can relate to myself or it's like, if it's like the Muppets, it's like, you know, it's like that, it's that, that diversity of the characters and how they're all their own personality. And it's like, you know, nobody's really ever the same. And even like they're the same species or the same look or whatever, they, they're very, very different. And they all have their own thing where it's like, you know, whether it's like, you know, like, a Kermit like holding him trying to hold everything together or it's like you know Piggy being a diva or Fozzie telling horrible jokes or Gonzo just being that weird person you know or like you know just like any of the musicians like having their own specific personality that's them apart from like the music that they make or like you know you have you know like someone like Big Bird who's always curious or Bert and Ernie who you have somebody who's just like always getting annoyed by the other person, but they both like care for each other. You have someone like Cookie Monster who's like, you know, just like got an appetite like a mofo and just literally anything. Like I've seen things where he's eaten actual like things like mailboxes and like yeah. chairs and crap because that's how he rolls. Or like, you know, like or any of, any of the fraggles, like like every single one of them, like they have their own personalities. You have like, you know, Gobo, he's an explorer, Mokis or like, you know, the holistic, you know, like, you know, zen hippie one you got boober who's like the worrier you've got red who's like the adventurer and you got wimbley who's like the guy who can't decide to crap which is why i relate to him so hard and they all they're all different things and they all complement each other in some way and they all kind of in the way show that it's oh it's it's okay for you to be you and it's like that's that difference is what makes everybody so great and filling yourself with that u- uniqueness and that difference with the people around you, they're going to make everything a lot better. So it's like, instead of, you know, being so uniform, it's like, we're all doing this. We're all doing that. We're all doing this or whatever. It's just sort of like, you know, we're, I'm doing that. You're doing that. You know, we're both doing this together and we're all going to do this together. And it's like, it's really just like, you know, the way it all flows together, I guess. Um, and okay. So I want to f- flesh out this empathy part. Um, and I think it's because, when you mentioned empathy earlier, the way that I think about it is it's through storytelling. It's through seeing uh, yourself in different stories and um, in different roles that you learn to empathize with yourself. 
and you understand who you are. And it isn't until you empathize with yourself that you can really empathize with other people. So if you are not seen and heard and represented, it's you're basically being forced to empathize with other people. Um, but once you have empathy for yourself and you know who you are and why you are the way that you are, you start being able to hold space for people who might not have the same worldview as you or have the same uh, needs as you or the wants and the desires and things like that. And so my question really is how do we teach people to find themselves first before we throw them into society saying, oh, you must have empathy for other people. How do we get them to understand who they are first? So how do we teach other people to find how they can be seen and heard, how they can assemble their media diet so that they are feeling like the world represents them? Does that question make sense or did I just go I all over the place? I think so. I'm going to try to answer it in, okay. the, in, in the way I'm thinking of seeing it, but I think it really boils down to I think you need to have conversations, obviously, because like if you've only known one thing your whole life and you've gone through society, you've been indoctrinated, you've been ingrained, you have to have conversations with people. You have to have like you have to like look look for resources that are are outside of like your wheelhouse of things you know and kind of find other perspectives and other ways of thinking about stuff so that you can have that overall worldview but if you're like a younger person you haven't been like tossed out to the sharks of society yet like think that's really all a matter of like you know actually having the time and the space to be able to learn about not only the world but also yourself and like have those conversations whether it's like you know with a parent or a guardian or a loved one or whatever but it's like i think if but it's also you have to be careful because if you're just like gonna teach them like hate and everything like that then it's like shut your mouth go away right now but like i think that's the thing is i just think if we give everybody had like their own time and space to like absorb stuff on their own time learn who they are and like learn what their values are as opposed to like you know just sort of being just like shown this like kaleidoscope of like you know the world and all the nonsense that happens in it and kind of just like saying conform to something here and you're going to be good so like you know how so like how you have have i don't know if you still have but you, you back in the day when people talk, go to college you know you have some people like going to like med school becoming doctors and like you know lawyers and things like that because money and money is like what's the most important as opposed to like going to or something that like you know you want to do whether it's like you know something in like you know the visual arts or like you know like uh education or like you know things like that because it's like i can't say this is like just like a train of like a lot of people i know but it just feels like for me i feel like there's a lot of people when it came time like you know figuring out what i'm gonna do it's like saying you know you should do one of these jobs where like you know you can make a lot of money but it just seems like that's the antithesis of like you know what i and other people should be doing because like is money important yeah because we live in a capitalist society but is it the most important thing not really no and like that's what that cat oh not cat stevens uh harry chapman songs about cats in the cradle like you have to give space so it's like you know if you have like a little 
mint tea or whatever and like you know you want to teach them about the world or something like that i think it's important to like you know have a conversation with them learn their worldview sort of like how they see things what's going on with them and seeing how you can relate and how they can relate to your story and just like you know having that be part of their education or their like you know growing experience and just like and i think we need to give people that space because it's like you know the thing about our education system it's kind of just like the way it is right now it's just kind of just like getting people used to this whole like you know workday mentality where it's like you go you, you get up you go to a place you're there for the whole time you do stuff and then you go home the only difference is instead of like leaving your work at work you have to take you know work yeah. home with you and do homework which is like the <laughs> biggest scam in the history of the world like how dare yeah. you take my free time to make me do math and like study for a spelling test or something this is so rude but um <laughs> but i think but i think that's part of what the thing is like there's very little time within there depending on what your school is like to be able to have time to yourself to learn to have that free time to like you know discover and you sort of have that in like those early days where it's like you know you kindergarten i'm sure you have like you know nap time you have like coloring and things like that you have that free time you're learning some things but you also have that time to like you know to yourself but once you get start growing on that scale and you get to a certain point it's like that sort of stuff that goes away like sort of like how recess is a very elementary school thing but like once you get to like middle school high school recess isn't really a thing but like you know you can like go outside or something during your lunch period or something and it's not really the same it's not that same free play time to like you know just have fun with your friends and just kind of like de-stress from like what you're doing you just got you just gotta like keep going in the system and i think that's not really working you know if you if we had like it where like you know you could actually have like you know young people could have like the free time to learn and discover instead of like being on these like tracks where like you have to do this have to do that and like you learn 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 whatever like that and like tests and standardized tests and everything like that i think people would be a lot better and be a lot less you know bah, you know thank you for tuning into our conversation about a decade ago while teaching communication skills to university sophomores i developed a reputation for giving too much homework and not just for the volume i assigned but for the added bonus that i didn't give adequate scaffolding to set my students up for success I even overheard one of my students say to her peers, taking this class is already a waste of time, implying that she didn't feel it was worth even more of her time to doing homework. It was a very harsh reality check, and I want to say that it didn't take me long to correct myself. But I'm embarrassed to admit that it wasn't until almost two decades later that I realized how expensive poor scaffolding could be. I had signed up for an online course that had gone on sale for nearly half the price, which was still more than I could afford at the time. But the marketing copy knew exactly which heartstrings to tug and promised to deliver me from a deep insecurity I really wanted to squash. Let's just say I did not become richer. I did not become more confident but the worst part of this experience was that the teacher was indeed an expert, however, knew nothing about how adults learn and how to scaffold information in a way that could mobilize beginners to find success. 
For weeks, this experience left a hole in both my heart and my bank account. I was deeply angry and resentful about how little support I received, how little success I made in the course, how little confidence I left with when the course ended. Then, over the weekend, I listened to Adam Grant's new book, Hidden Potential. In the first chapter, he talks about embracing the discomfort of learning, and the example he gave had me pause hard. I couldn't believe that after 15 years of teaching, that it finally dawned on me. Learning shouldn't be comfortable. You don't learn how to read without those deliberate hours of painful and grueling phonics, you know, of being frustrated that you can't distinguish potato from tomato. You don't learn how to walk by watching a presentation on how your legs work or how the physics of gravity and momentum propels you forward. You don't learn how apples taste by reading a book describing the experience of eating an apple. What we do in classrooms every day isn't really learning. It's scaffolding. It's equipping students with training wheels to know how to navigate the world when they meet it. To introduce new experiences and perspectives for navigating their future. To build the emotional resilience and confidence they need. And to develop the agency to know that this life is theirs. Students learn only when they want to learn, when they are invested in reaching a desired result, and when there is a personal consequence from not achieving it. But what it is that they learn is not our decision to make. Maybe it's time that we stop measuring our students' success on how much they've retained, and rather, on how much of their life they enjoy. Thank you so much for listening. If any part of this episode resonated with you, please connect with us on social media at the links in the show notes. And if you'd like to share your own education journey with us on this podcast, please send me a DM on Instagram.